If you would please turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. This is a Sanctity of Life Sunday. Um, we have, here in our country, have sensed the need to, uh, to bring an emphasis on the sanctity of life. We believe as Christians that we are created in the image of God. Every individual um, has God's image within that person, within that creation. That means then that every person is important. There are, are no disposable people. We do not have that luxury of just saying, well, that person's not necessary, let's get rid of them. That's not in biblical thinking. But it seems to have uh, permeated our society that, uh, that life, is, um, life is something that we can play with. And uh, so since 1973... Uh, Roe versus Wade decision of the Supreme Court, abortion has been legal in this country. And since then, there's been 54 million abortions. 54 million abortions during that this time. That's 1.4 million abortions every year. It's a travesty. We We don't like to hear of it as as death or as killing uh, these unborn babies. We rather call it pro-choice. They go to health centers instead of abortion clinics. We call it um, a bundle of nerves or a fetus, a bundle of cells, not, not a baby, not a beating heart, not a true and living thing. We... Uh, we say there's no life there, and we kind of downplay that. At least our society does. In fact, what we find is one out of three women will have an abortion. One out of three women will have an abortion in this country. In fact, there's some communities that will have more abortions than live births. Think about that. More abortions than live births. In fact, abortion is the most common medical procedure in our country. Wow. So we've seen the need to elevate the importance of life. <laughs> we, uh, we as Christians, we as a church, we, we have the mindset that there are no disposable people. Everyone is important to God. These aren't just statistics on a page. These are real, live babies in the womb that are being killed every day. And it's a, it's a sad reality. So what we've found is that we need to bring attention to these very, very basic things. Now, there's, a, there's some pro-abortion people that would say, no, you're, you're taking power away from the women and uh, when you, when you uh, say that abortion is illegal. And we want women to be empowered, so they call it pro-choice. And we elevate the choices of our own, own bodies. And, uh, in fact, it's even been said that there really is no sanctity of life. There's nothing about life that is sacred. 
Well, we would disagree, wouldn't we? We would disagree. So I'm going to pray. And I would like for you to pray, this, this week even, that our country would see this blight. Would be, this blight would just be exposed for what it really is. Instead of continuing to suppress the truth. Now this is a spiritual battle in our country. And we know the spiritual battles are won and lost through prayer. And that's what we need to do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, these are sobering times in our country. Lord, we recognize that, that an unsaved person is not going to think like we think. The world is not going to have the same values. And Lord, it causes angst in our hearts. It causes frustration when we see these things going on in our society. When life is not elevated. People's lives are disposable. It's a dangerous thing in society. And Lord, we just, we just call upon you for help. We call upon you for your intervention in our country. Lord, we recognize that, that it's not, not our protests that are going to win the day. It's our prayers. Lord, we come to you and cry out to you. Lord, we know these are heart issues, and I pray that you would work in the heart of the people of our country, in our societies. Father, as Christians, I pray that we would do our part. Help us to, to be the influence that we can be, but understanding that, Understanding that it's the gospel that has to change a heart. Lord, we, we thank you for your word and to the point that it has exposed us to this truth that all life is precious, that all life is important. We would be just like everyone else. We would devalue life. But Lord, we want to elevate what you elevate. We, our values want to be your values. What are important to you, we want to be important to us. Lord, as we just are bringing these things to mind on this Sunday, once a year that we do, I pray that it would be a reminder for us to, to just continue to bombard your throne on behalf of our country. Acknowledging the sins of our country are many. Not just one, but many. And Lord, we uh, then in, at the same time recognize our dependence on you. Father, we feel so weak, so inadequate of what we can do. But Lord, we, we know the power of the gospel is there. And Lord, help us, to, uh, help us to depend on that. Help us to depend on you. And Lord, we thank you for the precious little ones that we have in our church. Our families. Lord, help us to elevate life. Help us to see life as important. Never, never devaluate it. Father, now as we turn our attention to your word, Lord, may you just ignite our hearts with these precious truths. May it have an impact on our day. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Ephesians chapter 5, we are slowly moving our way through this section that I wanted to do in one sermon, but it just hasn't happened. 
This is our third sermon now on this, uh, on this passage. And I am just determined today to, to get through this. So we are, just hang on. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll start reading in verse 15 and read down to verse 21. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, we've looked at five elements here that Paul's drawing to our attention. And, and these are commands, one right after the other. And uh, we have seen that when Paul does this, there's some things that are being emphasized here that are important. Um, and what we've uh, have acknowledged, recognized that, that Paul is kind of summarizing everything, bringing everything, all of these thoughts from chapters 1 to 4 or 1 to 5 here to a combination. And he's applying it to our lives. Okay, how is this information now going to impact your life? Now, what was the information? Well, let's go back. Paul has given us, he's painted us a, a picture. And it's almost fairy ish You have been adopted by the God of the universe into His family. Wow. That, that, that alone has been... It's just over our heads. It's unfathomable. It's a rags-to-riches story. Something that we really can't... We really can't grasp. And it's kind of out there. It's, it's kind of fairy ish It really has no impact in our life. But remember, Paul... Paul is explaining to these people in Ephesus what God has done in their life. And he starts, and the basis of what God has done is starting with a sound theology. And he lays out this theology of how this fits into God's overall plan, how this fits into God's picture, and how you fit into that. Now, all this is is not just a based on sound doctrine, it, it is. But it's also also real life experience. There's two kinds of knowing. We can know by, by information, and Paul's given the information, but there's also impact in our life. And that's what Paul is appealing to now. Look what God has done for you. Now here's the way it's to be worked out in your life. In fact, on a daily basis. Um, that's where we are. Paul calls it our walk. This is what we do on a, on a regular basis. This is a consistent lifestyle. It's consistent with what we believe in this sound doctrine and this, in this impact that God has made in our life. Um, in our heart now is working its way out in our practical everyday living. And it affects every element of our day. Every element of our, our life, if you will. What we see then, the seven elements of our life, seven elements of our day that are impacted. And this is the careful walk. 
Uh, Paul says, verse 15, Therefore, be careful how you walk. So Christians are, are to take care. They're to be alert and to be aware of what they're doing or how they walk. And it's to be characterized by wisdom. And then that's the, the, the mental element of our day. The mental element of our day, when we wake up, we think, God, let me use this day for your honor, for your glory. Lord, I recognize that I have been adopted into your family and that you are now my father. That idea has an impact in my life. Therefore, therefore, I want to live in light of that. I want to be wise in my behavior. I want to be wise in my behavior. We're bringing attention, careful attention to the way we, we live. And it starts out by when we wake up in the morning, say, yes, Lord, I will live for you. My behavior is important. Now, when you wake up in the morning, you're probably a lot like me, and this is not your mindset. And you, you're probably, um, you wake up, at, you realize, I haven't had enough sleep you're still tired. There's, you, you may wake up late. There's things that need to be done. And the frame of mind is not, Lord, let me be wise today in my, in my behavior. But Paul's bringing attention. If we want a careful walk, this is what it looks like. It's going to start out with your mindset, and it's going to have to be wise. You're going to have to apply what you know into your life. It has to start there. Then there's a time element. Number two, there is a time element to our day. And he's saying, make the most of your time. Be efficient with your time. God has called you to a greater purpose. Our life isn't just about the mundane things of this life. Now, what we do as Christians is take those mundane things of eating and drinking, and we do those things for the glory of God. Our work, our relationships, everything is to be done for the glory of God. And we make our time efficient. We have been given a task here on this earth as the church to reach out to the world. And we, we are limited in that time and we need to go after that. We need to apply ourselves for that purpose to go after the world. And, and we, uh, we recognize the urgency of that because of the time that we've been allotted to. So we have to be efficient with our time. And then that, that brings up number three, the, the directional element of our day. The directional element. And Paul says that, um, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What's the direction of our life? Well, it's the will of the Lord. God has made an impact on our life. We are now to line up ourselves with His will, and that's to have an impact in our life. That's the direction of our day. We are to walk in harmony with God's will. We are not to sin. We are not to sway one direction or the other. We are not to be double-minded. We are to be focused. It is not my will to be done, but is your will be done. That's the attitude of the believer. And then we have number four. So the directional element of the Lord, or the, uh, the, our walk, is to focus on the will of the Lord. Number four is the dominant influence of our life. And we looked at this thoroughly last week. That dominant influence in our life is to be the Holy Spirit. There's other things that influence our life, and he brings out one here, drinking. Don't be influenced by that. It's dissipation. 
but be influenced, be dominated by the Holy Spirit, His presence in your life. Empty self and God will fill it. And how is that done? Well, that's to be done through the Word of God. The Holy Spirit has given us this book. This is a spiritual book. This is a holy book given by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of our holiness. The work of the Holy Spirit in our life is to produce holiness. That's the overarching purpose or principle work of the Holy Spirit is to produce holiness in our life. So the dominating influence of our day needs to be that Holy Spirit that uh, um, filling our thoughts and our minds. And he's, we do that by filling our hearts and minds with the word of Christ. And we parallel this passage with uh, a book that was written around the same time as Colossians or uh, as Ephesians. And um, Colossians 3, 6 says, Let the words of Christ dwell in your heart. Let the words of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving in your heart to the Lord. It has the same effect. When we, when we fill our minds and our hearts with the Word of God, we have emptied ourselves with our own thoughts and fill our, ourselves with God's thoughts. The Holy Spirit is dominating our life. Those things being equal of uh, letting the Holy Spirit fill our life and letting the Word of God fill our life, and it has the same effect. What's the effect? Well, it's a joyous heart. It's a joyous heart. And so being filled with the Spirit leads to three other elements of our day that are very important. Back to Ephesians. When we are filled with the Spirit, there's an emotional element of our day that we have to recognize. And that's number five. The emotional element is to be joyous. Now, now it's based upon the sound doctrine. It's based upon what we know then and the Holy Spirit working in our life. And boy, there's a peace there. There's a joy there. And it comes out in singing. It's a joyous thing. And it starts within the heart. That's where it is. It's that redeemed part of man. That heart. And there's singing and making melody. And, and, and all of that is directed to the Lord. You see the picture that Paul's painting here? All of these things that we've talked about have an impact in our life and it comes down to these few elements, really. Few elements. Our mindset, our time, our direction. These are important things. The dominant influence of our life. Once we are dominated then by the Holy Spirit, we are joyful And then that brings us to number six, and that's where we are today. We are to to be thankful. The result of the Holy Spirit dominating our life, the result of God's Word saturating our mind, brings us to the point that we we are there's there's a thankfulness there. There's a thankfulness. Now Paul gives us just to kind of uh, understand this verse twenty. He says in verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So he gives us the frequency, the extent of our thanksgiving, the means of our thanksgiving, and then the direction of our thanksgiving. The frequency of our thanksgiving is how often? Always. Always. 
Always. Always? Whoa, that's hard. We don't, we don't want to be thankful always. I, I like having a, a, a bitter spirit sometimes. I, I like having a, nursing my own wounds and focusing in on my hurts. Now he says always. Always giving thanks. Always giving thanks. The extent of our thanksgiving is, look at, for all things. It's not just time, but it's in every event. Everything that God brings into our life, we are to be thankful for. So it's a time element, the, the frequency, but the extent is on everything. Everything. Is there, there doesn't seem to be, to me, there doesn't seem to be too many loopholes here. There's not very many places that, that I can say, well, you know, I can take comfort in this. I don't have to be thankful. I've done, you know, I can, I can harbor this little element over here and not be thankful. Really, the mindset of the, of the believer, well, look, look at uh, the next element here, though, of being thankful. It's, it's the frequency is always, the extent is for in everything or for everything, and then the means. What's the means? Now, this is important. In verse 20, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing where? In Christ. The means by which we can receive anything good from God is through Jesus Christ. So when we are thankful, it is to be through Jesus Christ. It is because of Christ and His work and His redeeming work in our life. We are to be thankful through Christ. The means is Christ. It's the, it's the how. How can we be thankful? The world may look at us and say, how are you always joyous? How are you always thankful? And we could point back to the means of Jesus Christ. It's because Jesus Christ has worked in my heart. And I realize that I am nothing. And so I am just thankful to God. As we were talking about in Sunday school today. Anything this side of hell is a blessing. We deserve hell. We deserve eternal death and separation away from God in hell. That's what we deserve. Anything this side of that is God's grace. And it's to be, we are to be thankful for. Look at the direction, though. He says, the means is in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the direction of our thanksgiving is to God. It's to God. Even the Father. He's bringing that element in. He reminded us, he's reminding us, remember, God is your Father. We've been adopted into His family. So therefore, He is the one in charge in fact, what he's saying is that everything comes from him. He is the source. Jesus Christ is the means by which he can show his grace to us. But God is that, is that source. We are to be thankful to the Holy Spirit and to Christ and to God. The source being God the Father, our Father. He's the source of everything. So, so if there's any blessings that come to me by human means, I recognize that it's not the human means by which Christ or God is blessing me. It is through God Himself. 
Sometimes we think the human means. Thank you for doing this for me. Thanks for that. Thank you for this gift. And that's great. We should be thankful to one another. But ultimately, the source of every good gift is where? It's from God. God himself. So, we can see, we can clearly understand this verse. And at verse 20. Uh, an attitude of the believer. Uh, the, the thing that needs to... A dominant part of our life when we're controlled by the Spirit is this joy and this thankful attitude. That dominates the believer. Now, one of the commentaries that I read, John MacArthur, he, uh, he points out three things here. Here's, here's three possibility or three possible attitudes toward Thanksgiving. And let me bring these out to you. And by the way, these are in a, um, a handout in your bulletin if you'd like to get that and fill in the blank. Those are there for you. Number one, you've got this person. In fact, look over to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 19. You have some people with the the wrong attitude. Here's here's an example of uh, someone that sees themselves as deserving. Deserving. He says, I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many good goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. This is a soul, this is a person that he deserves everything. There's no thankfulness there. It's it's all about him. And verse 20 points that out. But God says, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. You don't give thanks to me and I can snuff out your life in a heartbeat. God is the one in control. He is the one that gives you the air that you breathe. He allows your heart to start to continue to beat. Well, we think, ah, oh, we, can, we, can, uh, we can understand how those things work. We live in a physical world, and we've got doctors that they can tell us how our heart beats and, and how it flows or uh, takes blood through our veins and how it keeps us alive. Folks, the thing that keeps us alive is God Himself. He is the giver of all good gifts. He deserves the credit. He's the one that we are to think. We are to never have this attitude of deserving. Of, you know, well, I could see that coming. I deserved it. Was, you know, I'd worked hard. I'd done this. To this person, thanksgiving is, is useless. He's self-dependent. He done it. He's done it himself. He doesn't need to thank anybody, God or anyone else. That is not the proper attitude of thanksgiving, is it? Look at another example in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verses 11 and 12. Here's another example. And, and this would be the hypocrite. Verse 11 and 12, and you'll know the context right away. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. Oh, obviously you've got a problem from the very beginning. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like these other, like other people, this other person or other persons, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even 
this tax collector, and you can see him referring to this person beside him. I, I fast twice a day. I pay tithes of all that I get. Boy, where's his prayer? His prayer is really to himself, and he's just thankful for what he has done. This is the thanksgiving of the hypocrite. There's the, the deserving and then the hypocrite. They may say thanks, but they know that they deserve it. And they've worked hard, and it's their works. And it's just hypocrisy. God sees this as a damning sin. It's hypocrisy. Sometimes you see people in the world that give kind of, they, they curtsy to God as though, you know, I, I've done this and I've done that. And, you know, and we have to give God credit. And their attitude behind that is, well, well, we'll pat God on the head, but I'm the one that really did it. That's hypocrisy. That turns God's stomach. It's hypocrisy. Look at verse, chapter 17 and verse 9. Here's the, uh, here's the third one. This is the truly thankful. The, the truly thankful. Um, Luke chapter 17. These are all in Luke. It's easier to stay in the, and find the illustrations right here in Scripture within the one passage. But Luke chapter 17 verse 9. And again, you'll know the context here. Because he did the thing which were commanded. Now, let's go back. We have to read a little bit of the context here. Verse 7. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourselves and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he he did the thing which which were commanded of him. And this is the unworthy slave. And actually, in in chapter 17, um, I believe I read the wrong the wrong verse there down further what we see this the lepers that have that were cleansed they came to Jesus and there was a truly thankful person one of the lepers there were 10 lepers that Jesus had healed and they come to Jesus and it's actually later in chapter 17 and uh, Jesus points this out um, in in verse 17, and Jesus said, and Jesus answered to him, Where were they not ten cleansed? But where the nine? Was no one found to return to, to give glory to God except this foreigner? And it really is an indictment to Israel. But this foreigner comes, this Samaritan comes, and he is very thankful to Jesus for being, for being healed. And that's the genuine, genuine thankful person. We also see this, uh, this example back in uh, chapter 18 of Luke. Luke 18. And the, the other person that was praying. Luke 18. You had the, um, the Pharisee praying. But look in verse 13. 
this tax collector, which was referred to earlier, he says, but this tax collector standing some distance away, he wasn't even, he wasn't even willing to come and approach the throne and was even unwilling to, to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the attitude here. An undeserving attitude. It's a thankful attitude. It's the truly thankful. It's the attitude of the truly thankful. This person sees himself as undeserving. He sees everything, all of the circumstances in his life is under the sovereign hand of God. And what does he do? He entrusts himself, his daily living, moment by moment, he entrusts himself to his living God. And therefore he can say, I will always be thankful for everything. It's, it has to be. It's someone that's undeserving and that is entrusting themselves to a true and living God that is aware and that is working in, the, in his life and the circumstances of his life. And that person is genuinely, genuinely thankful. Now, when are we to be thankful? Let me give you these. And this is a, uh, the next slide here. There's three levels, really. Uh, there's the those who are thankful because of blessings. Um, when things are going well, it's easy to be thankful, right? And uh, so let's go to the next slide. But um, it's it's easy to be thankful when we are blessed, and God God brings these blessings on our life, and we recognize that. We recognize this is the God's hand and he is blessing us. And then it's easy to be thankful, isn't it? And then you also have the, the person that is thankful for future blessings. We see this in scripture. And what we see is this is a little bit more mature. Things aren't looking so good. This is in the middle of the storm. This is in the middle of the storm. But this person is giving thanks for future blessings. Lord, I know this is going to come to an end and I thank you for the I thank you in advance for what you're going to do. This is future blessings. Um, and then we have the, the other person is being thankful while in the trial. This is, this is Daniel who found out that he was going to be put into the lion's den. And what does he do? He nails down and prays and gives thanks to God. That's an amazing, that's a spiritual uh, mature person. And then you have Jonah, he was a prophet of the Lord. Where does he pray? He prays in the belly of the well, and he's thankful to God. We also see Peter, and we see Paul. They were thankful within the trials. That's a mature, it's a mature perspective. Why? Because we see this sovereign hand of God in every circumstance of our life, and we simply entrust ourselves to this God who judges rightly, of what Peter says. He's the righteous judge. We see that uh, said of Christ. That Christ entrusted himself to his heavenly fathers. So, Christian, even within the pain and of trials and testing, persecution is thankful. Now, what you see is, is that this is, this is just sheer obedience, isn't it? This is not, I'm not feeling very thankful right now, but Lord, you say to be thankful in everything, I'm going to be thankful. That's leading our heart. That's not following our heart, is it? 
My heart might not be thankful in the midst of these trials, but, but you know what? I'm going to obey. Johnny Erickson Tata, she, she said this very thing, that giving thanks is, a matter of, is not a matter of feeling thankful, but a matter of obedience. It's a matter of obedience. I like that. I think she's exactly right. We are to be thankful. We are to be thankful because we know the source. We know the source of all things is God himself. Now, uh, let's move through these things. Uh, by way of illustration or example of this, we, can, we could turn to um, the passage of Scripture where Jesus was saying that your heavenly Father knows your needs. If you ask for a fish, he's not going to give you a serpent, is he? If you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a stone, is he? He, being good, knows these things. He's, it's just a matter of trusting him. Moment by moment, trusting God. He is a good God. He is a righteous God. And we need to have that attitude of entrusting ourselves to God. How do we get that attitude? Well, it's a overflow of being filled with the spirit of having the word of god word of christ dwell in us richly now let's move to the third one and we'll uh, or the the seventh one and we have a the relational element of our day the relational element at some point you're going to come in contact with other people now what paul has said back in ephesians what paul has given us is is a pretty grandiose picture of what god has done in our life and we can get an attitude that is um that is superior than everybody else and we are to not have that attitude or to not have that attitude. In fact, the, the question might be asked is, well, if God has called us to his children, aren't we superior than the world? And so why would we ever subject ourselves to the world? Well, some think that, well, we shouldn't. We're superior than the world. We live above the world and we don't subject ourselves. But being filled with the Spirit results in being subject, being being submissive to one another in the fear of Christ. Being submissive. Now this isn't this isn't just a thoughtful act or consideration of other people. It literally means to rank under. And it's not just to rank under everyone. The context here, he's going to explain what he means because he jumps into verse 22 in just a minute. Women, for example, he says, are to submit themselves to their husband. So in the context here, he's saying, be subject to those who you are to be subject to, to to everyone. Whether it's to, uh, to your boss or to your husband or to your parents or to the church, the or God Himself, we are to be subject to to everyone, and this is this is not everyone to everyone, but this is those who it is appropriate for us to be subjected to, submissive to. Look at the the motivation behind this, though, is by the fear of God, by the fear of God. We don't like to do motivation because of fear, but you know what? That's a biblical motivation. In the Old Testament, we saw Israel being afraid. They had a, a respect for God. And the purpose was to lead to obedience. And that's exactly what it does. We subject ourselves 
because of the fear of the Lord, he says, and fear of Christ. And we're obedient. Someday, Christ is going to come in all of His power, in all of His glory, in His holiness, with authority, and we need to keep that day in mind, and it's going to be a day of judgment. This should strike fear in our lives. Why do we submit? Why do we submit to the governing authority? Why do we submit to, to those who are in authority over us? Because Christ is the ultimate authority. He is the one that we fear. And... Um, when we submit ourselves to these other institutions, we're ultimately submitting ourselves, and again, entrusting ourselves to a righteous God, to Christ. Now, this isn't talking about weakness here. He's not talking about uh, non-combating or non, uh, no competition, kind of meek. Uh, I used the term the other the other day with the uh, the college group. I said. Casper milk toast, and these kids had never even heard of such a term. I grew up with that term, Casper milk toast. I'm not sure exactly what it means, but I have a pretty good idea. We are not to just be Casper milk toast. We are to be bold. We are to be confident. We are to have convictions based upon sound doctrine, knowing what God has done in our lives. We speak with authority. There is power through the Holy Spirit in which we live. That brings courage. So this is not just talking about some mealy-mouthed Christian that doesn't know what he's doing, and he just, he just kind of goes through life, subjecting himself to everybody. No, we rank under. We recognize our place in life, but we recognize the power of God at work in us. We recognize the power of the gospel. We we, uh, are submitting ourselves to this human person, but we know we're submitting ourselves ultimately to God Himself. And we do so, we do so cognizant of that very fact. We do so with confidence, with boldness, with courageous. Now, then that leads then to a Daniel kind of mentality. What did Daniel do? When he was told to do something that he didn't want to do, that was convinced, was against his convictions, what did he do? He appealed. He, he submitted himself, but he also appealed, didn't he? He had, he was not a Casper milk toast. He submitted himself, but he went to his authorities and said, Hey, would you mind? And there's an appeal process. We see that in Scripture. But there's also a boldness there that Christians have. It's not weakness. This isn't just some some verse that we, we pull out to support everybody submitting to everybody and kind of a, a milly mouth kind of Christian. No, we we are to be. We are to have convictions. We are to... Speak with authority. You know what? Jesus was this. Paul was this. Daniel was this. Stephen was this. They were courageous. They were bold men. But they submitted themselves. They were children of of God. In fact, Christ was God Himself. And He submitted Himself. That's a powerful thought. How can we do any less? How can we do any less? Well... The question has to be asked then, um, has God done 
any work in your life. If he has, this is the, these are the areas in which it's going to, to work out in your life. It's going to be a mental element. It's going to work its way out in, in wisdom. It's going to work its way out with your time. It's going to work its way out in your individual daily life, in the direction of your life. It's going to affect many, many areas. So... The question has to be asked then is, how are you spending your time? How are you spending your life here on this earth? And in a follow-up question, has God, has God ultimately impacted your life at all? Are you seeing these things being worked out in your life? Are you working these things out? Are you in harmony with, with the Word of God and working these things out in your life? It's hard. It's hard. We have a, we have a, a society that's devalued life. Devalued life to the point that it just sapped any meaning of life out. But when we become a Christian, the meaning of life is, is added back in. We have something to live for on a daily basis. We have a purpose to get up in the morning. We have a reason, an urgency about our lives. We, 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 Submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We, we empty ourselves and allow Him to fill us. That produces joy in our life and thanksgiving in our life. But not to the point of some elevating ourselves, but we submit ourselves. We submit ourselves. Do you see the picture? It's a beautiful picture. Now, the next verse, verse 22, in fact, the rest of this chapter, Paul is talking about our submission and how that's to be done. And we'll, we'll deal with that. And he's talking about families. And that's going to be a wonderful series, a wonderful uh, area in which to study. But before we get to that, you've got to evaluate yourself. Has God made an impact in my life? Are we just going to play here? Or is there a reality to this? Is this just theory? Is this just a fantasy? Is this just a fairy tale that Paul is saying? Or does it have an impact in your daily life? You have to ask that question yourself. Let's pray. Father, these are sobering thoughts uh, for us. Lord, um, we, we proclaim a truth that leads to godliness. We submit to a gospel, a message that changes lives. Lord, I pray that those things would be so in our life. I pray that those things would be evident within our church. And Lord, we know the power that can come from this. The dynamic of a, a true and living church, a vivacious church, a church that's gained its first love, regained its first love, Lord, may we be that kind of church and we recognize it's emptying ourselves as being dominated by the Holy Spirit. That's the only way. We can't concoct any kind of strategy of building this kind of church. Lord, it has to come from you and it has to come from the heart. It has to come from within. Help us to recognize those things. May they be true of our life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.